We'd like to welcome everyone today. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad you're here worshiping with us. We welcome you this morning. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. One quick thing I'd like to say. I forgot to announce this. Uh, what uh, Sister Jolyn felt the burden to start uh, a prayer uh, in her house for ladies. It will be on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evenings starting at uh, 7 p.m. And it will end whenever the Lord is done. And it says here, this is for the desperate only. It's not a time for fellowship and for food. Uh, no coupon swapping. That must be from Brother Jolin. Uh, no showing off grandkid pictures. <laughs> it's about prayer and coming together and praying. And so if you want more information on that or directions, and uh, again, that's Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, you can see Sister Jolin right over here to my right. And uh, I believe we can never do enough prayer. Uh, if we have, if everybody held a prayer meeting, I think that wouldn't be enough. And so uh, we're going to, Sister Jolin felt the burden to start one, and I'm sure others will feel the burden also. We need to pray. We cannot do this without prayer. I'm glad five of you believe that. For the other 95% of you, we're going to have to have a a Bible study lesson because ultimately, uh, I was going to use this for for a message one day, and I might, I'll give the cat out of the bag. If you go on Google, type in, uh, the most expensive movies ever made. Not the ones that made the most money, just the ones that have cost the most. You're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars that are being spent. Hundreds of millions of dollars being spent on movies. We can't compete with that. And if we come in here and try to do this by competing with the world, we'll get run over like a truck going 90. That's not what we're here to do. We're not here to compete with entertainment. Yes, we're trying to make things better. We've got screens up here and we've got this. and We're trying to make it look better. But ultimately, when it comes down to if this was just a dirt floor and we didn't have a ceiling. I mean, I've been overseas where it was a dirt floor, concrete walls and metal roofs and 200 degrees inside. But Jesus was there. And ultimately, that's what we need. We don't need, we, we don't, we, entertainment, all that gets good. When I love to have a good time and we try to make this as best we can and we want to do everything we can do to the greatest amount of excellence. But bottom line, when all that is done, none of that means anything if we don't have a move of the spirit. Because let's be honest, when someone walks out of there, they're not going to remember the color of the carpet. They won't remember if we had one screen, two screens, ten screens. They won't remember where the chairs were. They won't even remember my face, but they'll remember Jesus. Because when they leave here, they leave this here. But when they leave, he goes with them. So our goal has got to be to make this a spiritual, supernatural experience. And the only way to do that is with prayer, a covering of prayer. And it's a challenge for us because we don't have our own building. So we can't pray. But the great thing about God is he doesn't have to have a building. Thank God we, can't, we, we don't have to have a building to have church. He is, we are the church. He's the head of the church. And wherever two or three are gathered together in his name, he is in the midst. So I encourage us to continue to pray and get together and pray. Praise God. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, Mark chapter 10, verse number 17. Mark chapter 10, verse number 17. I want to say special welcome. It's so good today to have her in service to my mother-in-law, Anita Sharer. Most of you know her. She's here visiting with us. She's here. 
It's so good to have her with us today. In case you don't know, that's Kate's mom. And uh, they they planted a lot of seed. Her and her husband lived here, were part of Antioch for many years and planted a lot of seed. A lot of you are here today because of the connection you had with them. And so we're so glad she's here today and being able to celebrate Antioch West with us. We're so excited about that. Mark chapter 10, verse number 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear fault witness. Do not defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto them, Master, I have all these things I have observed from my youth. And Jesus beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor, that thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved. I've often said, if Jesus was your pastor, some of you would not come to church. Because you would think with this statement, he came asking such a noble thing that Jesus would have given him a noble answer. And Jesus asked him something he didn't want to hear. And he was grieved for he had great possession. Verse 23, and Jesus looked around about, said unto his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. And Jesus answereth again, saith, saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the, into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who? then can be saved who then can be saved and Jesus looking upon saith with men it is impossible but with God for with God all things everybody say all things all things are possible God bless you thank you for standing you may be seated this morning amen I don't know if if you've ever seen it it was a show I I think I have I have it on DVD now, but it was a show back in the 80s uh, by the name of MacGyver. If you look at it now and you watch it now, it's it's completely, uh, it's pretty, I hate to use the word, but it's just cheesy. But back, back in the 80s, it was a good show. But one of the traits, if you've never seen the show, basically a MacGyver is this guy, he goes on these missions and he's Mr. Do-It-All. But one thing that is sort of, inherent in his in his skill set is MacGyver can do anything with nothing. I mean like he can break out of jail with a spoon and peanut butter. I mean he can dissolve a he can disarm a nuclear bomb with like a pack of gum and and it's and so the stories go that you know Basically, MacGyver goes out on these missions, and you know, if you've seen the show, that somewhere along the line, he's going to get himself in some kind of predicament. And out of this great predicament, I mean, he's going to build a, an airplane that can fly out of a stack of paper. I mean, he's going to figure a way out out of nothing. And most of the time, you're watching this, and in your intellectual mind, you're laughing, going, that really can't happen that way, or... You know, it's he had a Swiss Army knife, and he could do anything with the Swiss. I mean, he could build you a house with a Swiss Army knife. 
and it was it's kind of funny, but the context of how he could make something out of nothing. I don't know if the creator of the show was a believer, but somewhere along the line, I think the creator of that show must have read the Bible because he understood that uh, most people, the situations that MacGyver was in were impossible. But with MacGyver, all things were possible. And yes, it was a TV show. And for most of you that have any kind of intellectual uh, ability, you understand that that probably is not the way the world works. However, that being said, God in his nature has the ability to take something that is not significant and make something out of it. At the core of that. And the thing about God is amazing is, is that God does not ask you to do what you're not able to do. Notice when the man comes to him and he says to him, you know, he begins his conversation with the Lord and we read it. We read it and he says, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? What, what, what can I do to get into eternal life? What can I do to inherit eternal life? And he's expecting this, this, this answer. And Jesus said, well, I got, I, I'll give it to you. Go sell everything you've got. Notice that Jesus did not ask the man to do what the man was not capable of doing. Jesus was simply asking him, just give me what you've got. Don't give me what you don't have, just give me what you've got. God will never ask you to give what you don't have, but he may, have, he may ask you to give all that you have. I, I, have, I have a challenge. You know, we often pray, you know, Lord, what would you like for me to give today? You know, the offering time's coming. Lord, what do you want me to give today? I, I guarantee you this. The Lord will never speak to me, at least in my current situation, unless something happens. And I don't know if the Powerball or something. But the Lord is never going to speak to me. Maybe you, but never speak to me. Joel, give a million dollars. He'll never ask that. Why? Because I don't have that. He only asked me to give what I've got. But it's not the significance of what I've got is what he's looking for. It's what it means to me is what matters to him. Because $5 to a millionaire doesn't seem like a lot, but $5 to a homeless person is everything. And we look at what we have in comparison to others and we think, what does God want with what I've got? Because we look at what we've got based off the comparison of what he thinks about it. But he's not looking at what you have based on what he thinks about it. He's looking at what you have based on what you think about it. The value that you've placed in that. The prophet shows up at this widow. She had nothing. She's basically gathering some sticks. She had just enough uh, oil left in her barrel to, in order to make just one more meal. And basically, it was a suicide mission. She was collecting these sticks. She was going to go back. She was going to make the meal. And she was just going to die. That was the mission she was on. And he asked her, what are you going to do? And she says, I'm, gonna, I'm doing this. I'm making this meal. And he asked her the question, make me one first. Whoa. Wait a minute. Do you not get what I just told you? I only have this much. 
and it's barely enough for me, and I'm just basically, this is my last will and testament. I'm eating it and dying, and you're asking me to make you one first? Whoa. But notice, he didn't say make one for me and everybody else. He knew he only had enough for one. But because we were standing there not as the man, but as the man of God, representing God in her life, he was saying to her from God, I'm not asking you to give what you don't have, but I'm asking you to give what you do have. And the Bible says she gave that to him, and by giving that to him, it opened the door for a miracle to take place in her life. Do you know why some of us never see miracles? Because we don't give God all that we have. We do a down payment on a miracle. You know, it's one of those things you go and you go, you have someone come over and do a job for you and they bid it out and they say, well, give me half now and give me half when the job is over. Well, miracles don't work like that. You don't give God half faith now and I'll give you the rest of the faith, Lord, when it's on the other side. Give me all you got up front. Because you know who I am and you know how I work. But I'm not asking you to give me half now and hedge your bet in case I don't come through. You have something. I've said it often before. Do you know why God does so many miracles overseas than he does in America? Not because people overseas have more, have, are better, better people than Americans. It's because overseas, they give all they have because they have no other option. When you walk three and four, and I know this, and I'm saying this to make any, I mean, no, you say this, and we turn ourselves, turn it, turn it off. But when you watch somebody that walks three and five and eight and ten miles to church, to get to church, when they get there, they're not coming just to sit on a seat. If you go through that much effort, you got to get up that much earlier to walk 10 miles in the blazing sun to get to church. Let me tell you, when you get there, you're not going to miss your opportunity. But what do we do? Well, we get up when we can, and we know exactly the amount of time it takes to get to church, and we know exactly when we can get up, and how long it takes us to get dressed, and what time we can get there, and we get in our comfortable clothes, and we get in our air-conditioned car, and we drive here, and we walk in the precise time to get here, in the very precise time, and we're here, and God, we're here. What else do you want us to do? Okay, God, I showed up today. What else do you want me to do? Wait a minute. You're giving God just a portion. What about the rest of how you got here? And that's why you can see people that can come to church week after week. And the Bible says that when we come into the presence of God, we're supposed to leave changed. At the foundation of God, when you're touched by an encounter with Jesus, changes everything. A true encounter with Jesus never leaves you the same. Even if you're saved, a new encounter doesn't leave you the same. But it's amazing you watch people come week after week and they're never the, they never change. Why? Because they're coming to church, but they're not encountering Jesus. You can come to church and be a part of church but never encounter Jesus. You can be in the... I've I've been in the crowd before and seen very famous people. I've used this illustration before. And forgive me allowing it to use it again. But years ago for my birthday, my wife surprised me. 
back when Michael Jordan played for the Wizards. When he left the Bulls and he was almost on, on time of retirement, I think he was a partial owner or whatever, and he decided to play for the Wizards. My wife surprised me, took me to the game to see Michael Jordan. I was there with 20,000 other people. I saw him. I mean, he was right there. That's, I mean, right there, Michael Jordan. I cheered when he made a basket. But you know what? I didn't leave out of there with an experience with Michael Jordan. I left out of there going, yeah, I saw him. But it didn't change my life. Why? Because I was just in a crowd with everybody else. And yes, I saw him. And I had a common experience. But there was nothing about that experience that would change me. You can come to church and you can see everyone singing. You can sing along. But not be changed. Because you're having an encounter with everybody, but you're not having an encounter with him. You're having an encounter with the people next to you. You're having an encounter with the praise singer. You're having an encounter with the preacher, but you're not having an encounter with Jesus. Modern Christianity has made church about an encounter with church and not an encounter with Jesus. That's why, not to point fingers, but that's why modern Christianity is about lights and smoke and moving stuff and, and all this cool stuff because they're trying to make church the encounter. Church is not the encounter. The encounter is Jesus Christ. That's the encounter. The encounter is Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 7. Boy, I like standing on this carpet. Man, this feels good. Last week I came down front. By the time I was done, I needed to go sit down. This feels good. I might actually just feel a little dance coming on me. Whoo, I might take my shoes off. This feels really good. Sorry, I just had to say that. This is an anointing down here today. Mark chapter 7. I'm, I'm, we're just going off the notes. I'm, I'm, I'm just flowing the Holy Ghost. Mark chapter 7. The Bible says they bring this young man to Jesus. And he was deaf and dumb. And the Bible says something unique that takes place in this particular encounter with Jesus that we don't really see any other place. We know about the woman at the well, right? There was a woman at the well that Jesus, a Samaritan woman, he went by and saw her. He sought her out. And she was alone. But this particular young man came to Jesus and was brought to him by a group. He was deaf. He couldn't speak. And Jesus did something to him very unique that I don't find any other parts in the gospel. The Bible says that Jesus took him and pulled him away from the crowd. And Jesus got one-on-one -on -one with this young man. Jesus could have healed him right where he was. There was times the Bible says and healed all of them. He just basically went, everybody's healed. But he was trying to send a message, I believe, to us today with this young man. Because he pulled him away and he had a personal experience and a one-on-one -on -one experience with this young man. Because here's what happened. When he pulled him away, the Bible says Jesus did something unique. Very unique. I don't find this in any other, other gospel uh, story uh, that happened quite like this. The Bible says that he looked at this young man. And literally the Bible says he sighed. 
Now, when we hear the word sigh in our modern understanding, I don't know how about you, I think of, you know, you know, it's like Jesus goes, he looks at him and goes, another guy that needs healing. I mean, how many are there? Man, don't they know I'm tired? What's wrong with you today, God? I mean, come on, what do you need? You're deaf, dumb, poor. I mean, what do you need? Come on. That's really what I think of. When you think sigh, that's what, I mean, I don't know. Trust me. My kids are losing their mind. I sigh. God, help me, Jesus. And that's what, when you hear the word sigh, it's like, well, I mean, come on, what, what, what ailment do you have today? But actually, the word sigh doesn't mean sigh. The sigh means to let out a groan, and a groan that almost is uncontrollable. It's like the noise came out before you even realized it was coming out. And the Bible says when he got this young man alone, that when he looked at his heart, something in the compassion of Jesus Christ literally went, Oh! That he looked inside of that young man's heart and saw what was going on on the inside and he was so moved with compassion that literally the Bible says he gave an uncontrollable groan. Oh! But it would not have happened unless there was an encounter with the young man. That when you can get an encounter with Jesus, he has the ability to look into your heart and see what's going on inside of you. When you come and you just come into a crowd like this and you sing a few songs and, and you may even pray a few times and, and you may even say a few words and you shake a few people's hands and you leave and you go, oh, that was nice, that was neat, oh, that was, that was interesting. Oh, I may come back next week, I may not. I've got some stuff going on. I'm, well, I've got this and it's summertime and, you know, my kids are out of school or, you know, i got some vacation and all that because it's just, it's, just, it's just church. But when you come in here, and there are people here, and there's a good crowd here today, especially for summertime, and there's a good crowd in here, and you're, you're here. But you ever been in a room, and we've all experienced this, you ever been in a crowd of people but felt alone? There's one thing to feel alone when you're by yourself, but it's another thing to feel in the middle of a crowd of people but feel alone. But you know what? That can be a negative thing, but it can also be a positive thing because when you come in here, and you can get sidetracked with who's here, what's not here. But, but when you come in this place and you realize, and all of a sudden the room goes empty, the room goes silent, and the only thing that you can hear and concentrate on is the presence of God that's in this place. When you begin to do that, you know what you're doing? You're giving God the ability to move past the exterior and get into the interior. And you realize when God is able to step in in your life and see you one-on-one and have a one-on-one encounter with you that his compassion takes over and he won't leave you like you are. Notice this. Notice this. The boy didn't even ask Jesus for anything, but Jesus already knew what he wanted because the boy got alone with Jesus. He couldn't even speak. The Bible says he was deaf and could not speak. But Jesus never one time said, you know what? You're disqualified because you can't tell me what you need. He was qualified because he got alone 
with Jesus. He was qualified because he left. When, he, when Jesus reached out and said, come with me, he didn't turn around and say, well, well but Lord, I, I, I can't leave my family. These are my friends. Can they go with us? The only thing he did was he looked at the master and said, where you lead, I will follow. The Bible says he didn't fight with Jesus. He just took Jesus by the hand and Jesus led him and said, let's, let's me and you get alone for a minute. Now, I don't know, the Bible says, I read the context of that, and you read it in the Greek, and you understand, I don't believe he took him way off in the distance. I'm not saying he took him some, behind some closed door. I just think he separated him enough from the growl, crowd so that that boy felt like he was the most important thing ever to Jesus in that moment. You know, you come here today, and you think, well, really, come on. What, 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 what really does God care about me today? I'm just one of many. And then you say, well, you know what? My, my situation's difficult, but it's not that bad compared to others. But you know what? God doesn't look at you and say, well, you know what? I'd like to heal you today of your headache, but I have to come back to you because there's somebody over there with cancer. So let me go deal with them. I'll come back and get your headache. Could you hold on for a minute? Look, I'd like to heal you of your broken heart, but there's, uh, there's some people over there that have some marriage problem. I need to go deal with that, and I'll come back. And can you hold that just for, just for a minute? We can sit here and we can nod our head, but that's exactly the way we think. We come in church to get in line. And the, the messed up people get in front. And us people that are doing okay, we get in the back. We just say, oh, what well, the move of God is really good today so I can get in my turn in line. You ever, you ever gone through, some of you, I know some of you visitors won't know what this means. You ever gone through a prayer line? You said prayer lines? Still have them every once in a while, but you said prayer lines? Boy, the first half of those people that go through the prayer line, I mean, God is just picking them up, putting them down, spinning them. You're in the back of that prayer line. By the time you get to the end of that prayer line, I mean, the people that are left praying, they're just like, Jesus, touch them. Jesus, touch them. I mean, the first person, God forbid you're the first person. If you don't know what a prayer line is, a prayer line is basically a tunnel you walk through and they get prayed for. So you have people line up one side, people line up the other, and then everybody else lines up and you walk through and people pray for you as you walk through. It's kind of like a car wash for Christians. I'm not joking. Because you go through some, you get some spraying. You get some buffing. And by the end, you need some drying. It's like a car wash for Christians. Exactly what it is. But you're, notice, the first person in the prayer line, they're always the one that get the most blessed. Because you know what? Because the people in the prayer line are trying to, they're trying to decide how long they need to pray for everybody. So the first person, I mean, they're just, I mean, they just stand in the first, I mean, they're just, I mean, the Lord is just, I mean, hammering. I mean, it's just, you're just getting everything. I mean, they're getting healed. Their parents are getting healed. Their grandmother's getting healed. I mean, they're, they're getting healed back five generations. I mean, everybody in their family is getting healed. And then they take another step and they get all healed again. And now their grandchildren are getting healed. And now they get healed. I mean, they're just doing it. And you're in the back of the line going, my God, if they don't hurry up, we're going to be here forever. And by the time it's your turn, then you're in the back of the line and you get there. Everybody that's been doing the praying, they've lost their fire. 
And now, man, I mean, before, the first couple people, they walk through very slow. I mean, they're just getting it. And you get some people that start crying, and they're moving, and you're having to. But the last person, I've done this. Hey, don't laugh. This is experience, okay? The last person, you just just walk through. Just, I don't care. Just, Just say something. I'm literally, this is exactly the way it happens. I think sometimes we treat church like that. Because we come and we think, well, I'm in the back of the line today. Well, he touched me last week, and so I don't think it's my turn again this week. And so we come with no expectation. We've got a need, but no expectation. And so God is desiring to heal us, to touch us, but there's no expectation. And so we go out with a need. We think, well, I know that person needs. No, 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 no. Do you realize in this room right now, with all the people that are here, that God is able to get intimate with each one of us at the same time he's not running around going oh i gotta do this oh i gotta gotta do this gotta, 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 gotta. no i know it's funny but that's what we think that god can be sitting here next to brother muhammad talking to him and ministering to brother muhammad the same time he's over here talking to ronnie and nicole and ministering to them that's the greatness of god But the only, re- the only way we can experience that is that we've got to have the, the desire to get a connection with him, just me and him. That's why we ask people when they pray, close your eyes. It's not so we can make funny faces in front of you and make fun of you. Or it's not so that when you close your eyes, you get spooky and mystical. Ooh, I can feel God. No, it's because when I close my eyes, I'm forced to focus on him. When I close my eyes, the visible, the invisible becomes visible. God's invisible. You can't see him except when you close your eyes. When you close your eyes, the invisible becomes visible because you can begin to feel him. And he becomes real to you. Jesus looks at this young man and he pulls him aside and says, you and me, we're going to have an encounter We're going to have a one-on-one encounter. I'm not not asking you to give me what you don't have. Just asking you to give me what you've got. He didn't tell that guy, listen, I want you to sell everything you can, set up up a charitable foundation, begin to take take in donations and start a, 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 a... a YMCA in the city of Jerusalem. He didn't ask him to do that. He said, just give me what you've got. But he wasn't willing to give God what he had. I'm sure if God would have said, listen, give me a down payment. He said, I got that. No problem. I'll write you a check. He said, I want what you can give me. We know the story. Jesus is out teaching. You all heard it. Probably the most one of the most talked about miracles in all the Gospels. Jesus is out feeding, uh, eating, uh, ministering to 5,000. The disciples come up to him and say, listen, we got a problem. There's 5,000 people here, and they're hungry, and they're asking for food, and we don't have any. And he says, go find something. They come back a little bit later, and they bring him the, Famous five stale 
pieces of bread and two smelly fish. And they give it to him. And I, I know. Come on, let's be honest. These guys were humans. Can you imagine how foolish they, they would have had to have appeared? There's 5,000 people there. 5,000 people. Can you imagine being Peter? Walking through the crowd, carrying that little basket of five pieces of bread and two fish. Someone's saying, where, where are you going with that? Well, I'm taking it to Jesus. He's going to feed everybody. What? I imagine Peter, when he walked up to him, he kind of went, this is all we have. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know. I mean, we can run down to Walmart, but it's going to take a while. This is all we have. But you know what? Jesus didn't rebuke Peter, didn't rebuke the disciples, didn't rebuke the young boy, didn't rebuke the crowd. He just asked for what they had. And you know what's funny? Do you know that fish that they brought? More than likely, there was three main fish in the Sea of Galilee. But the, the one that was more than likely that was the smallest one. It was a sardine, literally. According to, according to cultural records, the fish that you would have carried around for a meal would have been a sardine. A little fish. It wasn't a marlin. It was two little fish. And... Five pieces of bread. But you want to know this? This is crazy. In case you don't know this, the Bible was written in Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament. So when I say this, I'm saying this not based off the English, but off the original. Do you know the word for loaf? The word there means, guess what? Bread. Woo. But you know what the root word there means? The root word there of loaf is to make to doubt. That root word there can be translated to make to doubt. So you know what that means? They brought some doubt and some smelly fish. But that's all they had. They just brought, they brought their doubt. Not just their faith. Some of us say we don't have any faith. Got some doubt. He said, I'll take your doubt. I just got to have something to work with. And they brought their five loaves of doubt and their two smelly fish. And Jesus said, I can work with this. You know what? You may not be someone here today that thinks, you know what? Boy, I can't wait till God can touch me today. Boy, I can't wait. I just, I just want to stand up, raise my hands, and I can't wait. He's going to touch me. You may be somebody that says, you know what? Well, I don't know if he will or not. Well, I guess I'm at least going to give it a try. You can doubt your way to a miracle. Do you know that? You can go ahead and doubt your way to a miracle. Let's be honest. We don't all get up and say, you know what? I'm going up there to pray, and God's going to heal me today. Woo! There's a lot of us that get up and go, I'm going down front because they were told to pray, but I don't think anything's going to happen, but I'll at least go down and get prayer. 
I'm not suggesting that be the course of action you take every time, but I've plenty of times I've just sat there with no faith. But when God began to move, all of a sudden, with my doubt, He created a miracle. Because that's all I had. I couldn't give him something I didn't have. He says, give me your heart. What if your heart is a bunch of broken pieces? He said, God, he says, I want your heart. Give me your heart. You say, well, God, I'd love to give you my heart, but I don't have a heart to give you. All I've got is just some broken pieces. I got hurt. I got pain. I got disappointment. I've got rejection. I've got all this stuff. I don't have a great heart, loving, caring. He said, no, 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 no. I just need you to give me what you have. Don't give me what you don't have. Just give me what you have. You know why so many times we're so afraid to, to, to move forward in God? Because we're always expecting God to ask us for something, to do something that we can't do. You know, God, I want you to work in my life. And we're thinking if we say that, okay, tomorrow... Get on an airplane, you're going to the jungle in Africa, and you're living there for the next 100 years. So we go, Lord, I want you to do something in my life. Please, God, don't let it be something bad. Please, 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 please. Do you know, if you just give him something to work with, something, just give him what you've got. He's not asking you to give him something you don't have the ability to give. If you don't have a shout, he said, give me your tears. He said, if you don't have happiness, give me your sadness. He said, give me your ashes. And I'll give you beauty. He said, give me your sorrow and I'll give you joy. Give you me your mourning and I'll give you a garment of praise for your spirit of heaviness. Whoa, wait a minute. You mean I, if I don't have a praise to give you, I don't have to give you, I can give you my sadness? He says, yes, just give me something. Just something. I don't have any beauty to give. I just got ashes. Give me ashes. I don't have joy to give you today. Then give me sadness. I don't have happiness to give you. Then give me your brokenness. Just give me something. Whatever you're holding on to, give me that. Give me something. I just got to have something. God's not asking you to give something you don't have. He says, I don't ask you for your perfection. Give me your imperfection. I'm not asking you for your righteousness. Give me your unrighteousness. I'm not asking for your worth. Give me your sin. You give me your sin, I'll give you forgiveness. Oh, whoa, wait a minute. You give me your emptiness and I'll give you my spirit. <gasps> what? You mean to tell me that I don't have anything of worth to you, but you'll take whatever you got? Whatever I have to give, you'll take that, and in return, you'll give me back something that can't even be valued? And so many of you right now, you want to pray, you want God to do something in your life, but you're looking at what you have and going, 
God, I don't even know where, what, what you could even do with what I've got. And he said, give me your five loaves of doubt and your two fish, and that's all I need because I can take that and work with it. God, I don't have anything to give you. Then give me ashes. Anybody got it? I don't want to ask you to raise your hand. Say, anybody got any disappointment in your life? Anybody got any hurt? Anybody got any pain? Anybody got any regret? Give them that. I won't even ask you to respond to this. Anybody got any, got any unforgiven sins? Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, preacher, I get that God wants a lot of the stuff. Do you really serious that God wants my sin? Whoa, whoa, I can understand he may want the old beauty, the ashes and all that, you know. At least ashes are memories of what once was. But sin? You don't understand it. Without you knowing it, he already has your sin. He's just waiting for you to acknowledge he has your sin. Because the Bible says when he was in the garden, he drank from a cup. You know what that cup was? Your sin. He already took your sin and carried it to the cross. The only thing he needs you to do is acknowledge that he has your sin and release that sin to him and let him take it. So don't say, I don't know if he wants my sin. Too late. He already took it. But you've got to be willing to give it to him and acknowledge he took it. God, I don't have anything to then I'll take your sin. I'll take, just give me something. Something. Just give me something. Give me what you've got. Just, I feel the Holy Ghost today. The Lord is talking to somebody in this place. I can feel it in the Holy Ghost. And he's asking somebody, stop trying to qualify and quantify what you do have. Just give me what you've got. Just give me what you got. Just give me what you've got. The woman at the, the well I spoke of earlier, Jesus showed up and says, give me to drink. And she says, I have nothing to give you to drink. I've got nothing. He said, just give me what you've got. Somebody here today, if you would give the Lord what you've got. If it's hurt, brokenness, sin, pain. Just give him what you've got. But if you give him what you've got, then he's able to take what you don't have and give you something that you can have. You just got to be willing to give him what you've got. You got to be willing to give him what you've got. I know the Holy Ghost is speaking today to somebody. I know the Holy Ghost is in this place. I can feel there's such a deep move of the compassion of Jesus Christ in here. There's not a big, we're not swinging from the, from the, from the uh, steel beams up top. We're not going crazy because there's such a compassion of the love of Jesus Christ in this room. Some of you are feeling that love already. You fought it already today. You've already fought, you're feeling right now, right now. That's not just emotion. Come here, give me your hand. That's not just emotion you're feeling Girl, that's not emotion. No. Do you know what that is? That's Jesus. Jesus. Because he loves you so much. He He's willing. You. He loves you so much. He loves you. He's just asking you. Say, just give me what you've got. Give he me what you've got. You. He loves you. Give me what you've got. Give me what you've got. 
Come on, he's not asking you to give something you don't have. He's just saying, would you just give me what you do have? If you give me what you do have, then he'll take it. Oh, come on, right now, would you just close your eyes? Come on, just close your eyes right now. Right where you are, just you and Jesus. Come on. Remember why we close our eyes. We close our eyes so we can get one-on-one with Jesus. Just you and him. Right now, can you do that? And as you begin to close your eyes, just say, Lord, I don't know what to give you, but what I do, I give to you. Come on, if you just got sin, give it to sin. Come on, if you're not praying for yourself, I'm asking you to be used to the Holy Ghost right now. God is doing something in this place. He's moving right now. There are people that God is ministering to. Would you let the Lord use you? He Oh, Jesus! Oh, give him what you've got! Say, say it out loud. Say, Lord, I only have ashes, but I give you my ashes. Lord, I only have sorrow, but I give you my sorrow. I only have doubt, but I give you my doubt.